chapter twenty one of cleopatra by georg ebers translated by mary j safford this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty one this time the architect could spend only a few hours on the serpent island for affairs in the city were beginning to wear a very serious aspect and the building of the monument was pushed forward even during the night the interior of the first story was nearly completed and the rough portion of the second was progressing the mosaic workers who were making the floor of the great hall had surpassed themselves it was impossible to wait longer for the sculptures which were to adorn the walls at present slabs of polished black marble were to occupy the places intended for bronze reliefs the utmost haste was necessary octavianus had already reached pelusium even if seleucus the commander of the garrison held the strong fortress a long time a part of the hostile army might appear before alexandria the following week a considerable force however was ready to meet him the fleet seemed equal to that of the enemy the horsemen whom antony had led before the queen would delight the eye of any one versed in military affairs and the imperator hoped much from the veterans who had served under him in former times learned to know his generosity and open hand in the hour of prosperity and probably had scarcely forgotten the eventful days when he had cheerfully and gaily shared their perils and privations helena remained on the cliff and her longing for the old couple had materially diminished her hands moved nimbly and her cheerful glance showed that the lonely life on the island was beginning to unfold its charms to her the young husband however had grown very uneasy he concealed it before the women but old pyrrhus often had much difficulty in preventing his making a trip to the city which might imperil on the eve of the final decision the result of their long endurance and privation dion had often wished to set sail with his wife for a great city in syria or greece but fresh and mighty obstacles had deterred him a special danger lay in the fact that every large vessel was thoroughly searched before it left the harbour and it was impossible to escape from it without passing through the narrow straits east of the pharos or the opening in the heptastadium both of which were easily guarded the calm moderation that usually distinguished the young counsellor had been transformed into feverish restlessness and the heart of his faithful old monitor had also lost its poise for an encounter between the fleet in which his sons served and that of octavianus was speedily expected one day he returned from the city greatly excited pelusium was said to have fallen when he ascended the cliff he found everything quiet no one not even dione came to meet him what had happened here had the fugitives been discovered and dragged with his family to the city to be thrown into prison perhaps sent to the stone quarries deadly pale but erect and composed he walked towards the house he owed to dion and his father the greatest blessing in life liberty and the foundation of everything else he possessed 
but if his fears were verified if he was bereft of friends and property even as a lonely beggar he might continue to enjoy his freedom if for the sake of those to whom he owed his best possession he must surrender the rest it was his duty to bear fate patiently it was still light even when he had approached very near the house he heard no sound save the joyous barking of his wolfhound argus which leaped upon him he now laid his hand upon the lock of the door but it was flung open from the inside dion had seen him coming and enraptured by the new happiness with which this day had blessed him he flung himself impetuously on the breast of his faithful friend exclaiming a boy a splendid boy we will call him pyrrhus bright tears of joy streamed down the freedman's face and fell on his grey beard and when his wife came towards him with her finger on her lips he whispered in a tremulous voice when i brought them here you were afraid that the city people would drag us into ruin but nevertheless you received them as they deserve to be and he's going to name him pyrrhus and now what has a fellow like me done to have such great and beautiful blessings fall to my lot and i i sobbed his wife and the child the darling little creature this day of sunny happiness was followed by others of quiet joy of the purest pleasure yet mingled with the deepest anxiety they also brought many an hour in which helena found an opportunity to show her prudence while old chloris and the fisherman's wife aided her by their experience every one down to the grey beard whose name the little one bore declared that there had never been a lovelier young mother than barine or a handsomer child than the infant pyrrhus but dion could no longer endure to remain on the cliff a thousand things which he had hitherto deemed insignificant and allowed to pass unheeded now seemed important and imperatively in need of his personal attention he was a father and any negligence might be harmful to his son with his bronze complexion and long hair and beard he required little aid to disguise him from his friends in the garments shabby by long use and with his delicate hands calloused by work in the dockyard any one would have taken him for a real fisherman perhaps it was foolish but the desire to show himself in the character of a father to barine's mother and grandparents and to gorgias seemed worth risking a slight danger so without informing barine who was now able to walk about her room he set out for the city after sunset on the last day of july he knew that octavianus was encamped in the hippodrome east of alexandria the white mounds which had risen there had been recognized as tents even from the serpent island pyrrhus had returned in the afternoon with tidings that antony's mounted troops had defeated those of octavianus this time the news of victory could be trusted for the palace at lochius was illuminated for a festival and when dion landed there was a great bustle on the quay one shouted to another that all would be well mark antony was his old self again he had fought like a hero many who yesterday had cursed him to-day mingled their voices in the shouts of Voe, which rang out for the new dionysus who had again proved his claim to godship 
the late visitor found the grandparents alone in the house of gorgias they had been informed of barine's new happiness long before now they rejoiced with dion and wanted to send at once for their host and future son-in-law who was in the city attending a meeting of the ephebi although he had ceased some time ago to be a member of their company but dion wished to greet him among the youths who had invited the architect to give them his aid in deciding the question of the course they were to pursue in the impending battle yet he did not leave the old couple immediately he was expecting two visitors barine's mother and charmian's nubian maid who since the birth of little pyrrhus had come to the philosophers every evening the former's errand was to ask whether any news of the mother and child had been received during the day the latter to get the letters which she delivered the next morning at the fish-market to her friend pyrrhus or his sons anukis was the first to appear she relieved her sympathizing heart by a brief expression of congratulations but gladly as she would have listened to the most minute details concerning the beloved young mother from the lips of dion himself she repressed her own wishes for her mistress's sake and returned to charmian as quickly as possible to inform her of the arrival of the unexpected guest berenike bore her new dignity of grandmother with grateful joy yet to-night she came oppressed by a grave anxiety which was not solely due to her power of imagining gloomy events her brother arius and his sons were concealed in the house of a friend for they seemed threatened by a serious peril hitherto antony had generously borne the philosopher no ill-will on the score of his intimate relations with octavianus but now that octavianus was encamped outside the city the house of the man who during the latter's years of education had been his mentor and counsellor and later a greatly valued friend was watched by mardian's orders by the scythian guard he and his family were forbidden to enter the city and his escape to his friend had been effected under cover of the darkness and with great danger the anxious woman feared the worst for her brother if mark antony should conquer and yet with her whole heart she wished the queen to gain the victory she who always feared the worst saw in imagination the fortunes of war change and there was reason for the belief the bold general who had gained so many victories and whom the defeat of actium had only humbled was said to have regained his former elasticity he had dashed forward at the head of his men with the heroic courage of former days nay with reckless impetuosity rumour reported that with the huge sword he wielded he had dealt from his powerful charger blows as terrible as those inflicted five-and-twenty years before when not far from the same spot he struck archelaus on the head the statement that in his golden armour with the gold helmet framing his bearded face he resembled his ancestor heracles was confirmed by charmian who had been borne quickly hither by a pair of the queen's swift horses cleopatra might need her soon yet she had left the lochius to question the father about many things concerning the young mother and her boy who was already dear to her as the first grandson of the man whose suit it is true she had rejected but to whom she owed the delicious consciousness of having loved and been loved in the springtime of life
dion found her changed the trying months which she had described in her letters to barine had completely blanched her grey hair her cheeks were sunken and a deep line between her mouth and nose gave her pleasant face a sorrowful expression besides she seemed to have been weeping and in fact heart-rending events had just occurred she had stolen away from lochias in the midst of a revel antony's victory was being celebrated he himself presided at the banquet again his head and breast were wreathed with a wealth of fresh leaves and superb flowers at his side reclined cleopatra robed in light blue garments adorned with lotus flowers which like the little coronet on her head glittered with sapphires and pearls charmian said she had rarely looked more beautiful but she did not add that the queen had been obliged to have rouge applied to her pale bloodless cheeks it was touching to see antony after his return from the battle still in his suit of mail clasp her in his arms as joyously as if he had won her back a prize of victory and with his vanished heroic power regained her and their mutual love her eyes too had been radiant with joy and in the elation of her heart she had given the horseman who for a deed of special daring was presented to her a helmet and coat of mail of solid gold yet even before the revel began she had been forced to acknowledge to herself that the commencement of the end was approaching for a few hours after she had so generously rewarded the man he had deserted to the foe then antony had challenged octavianus to a duel and received the unfeeling reply that he would find many roads to death open this was the language of the cold-hearted foe secure of superior power how sadly too she had been disappointed in the hope that the veterans who had served under antony would desert their new commander at the first summons and flock to his standard for all her husband's efforts in this direction spite of the bewitching power of his eloquence failed while every hour brought tidings of the treacherous desertion from his army of individual warriors and whole maniples his foe deemed his cause so weak that he did not even resist mark antony's attempts to win the soldiers by promises from all these signs cleopatra now saw plainly in her lover's victory only the last flicker of a dying fire but so long as it burned he should see her follow its light therefore she had entered at festal hall with the victor of the day she had witnessed a strange festival it began with tears and reminded cleopatra of the saying that she herself resembled a banquet served to celebrate a victory before the battle was won the cup-bearers had scarcely advanced to the guests with their golden vessels when antony turned to them exclaiming poor generously men perhaps to-morrow you will serve another master then unlike his usual self he grew thoughtful and murmured under his breath and i shall probably be lying outside a corpse a miserable nothing loud sobs from the cup-bearers and servants followed these words but he addressed them calmly assuring them that he would not take them into a battle from which he expected an honourable death rather than rescue and victory at this cleopatra's tears flowed also 
if this reckless man of pleasure this notorious spendthrift and disturber of the public peace with his insatiate desires had inspired bitter hostility few had gained the warm love of so many hearts one glance at his heroic figure one memory of the days when even his foes conceded that he was never greater than in the presence of the most imminent peril never more capable of awakening in others the hope of brighter times than amid the sorest privations one tone of the orator's deep resonant voice which so often came from the heart and therefore gained hearts with such resistless power the recollection of numberless instances of the bright cheerfulness of his nature and his boundless generosity sufficiently explained the lamentations which burst forth at that banquet the tears which flowed tears of genuine feeling they were also shed for the beautiful queen who unmindful of the spectators rested her noble brow with its coronal of pearls upon his mighty shoulder but the grief did not last long for mark antony shouted hence with melancholy we do not need the larva we know without its aid that pleasure will soon be over zuthus a joyous festal song and you metrodor lead the dancers the first beaker to the fairest the best the wisest the most cherished the most fervently beloved of women as he spoke he waved his goblet aloft the flute-player zuthus beckoned to the chorus and the dancer metrodor in the guise of a butterfly led forth a bevy of beautiful girls who in the cloud of ample robes of transparent coloured bombics which floated around them executed the most graceful figures and now hovered like mists now flitted to and fro as if borne on wings affording the most charming variety to the delighted spectators the comrades of death had again become companions in pleasure and when charmian who did not lose sight of her mistress noticed the sorrowful quiver of her lips and glided out of the circle of guests the faithful nubian had approached to inform her of dion's arrival then but this she concealed from her friends she hastened to her own apartments to prepare to go out and when iris opened the door to enter her room she went to speak to her about the night attendance upon the queen but her niece had not perceived her shaken by convulsive sobs she had pressed her face among the cushions of a couch and there suffered the fierce anguish which had stirred the inmost depths of her being to rave itself out with the full vehemence of her passionate nature charmian called her name and weeping herself ripened her arms to her and for the first time since her return from actium her sister's daughter again sank upon her breast and they held each other in a close embrace until charmian's exclamation with her for her unto death was answered by iris's to the tomb this was a word which in many an hour of the silent night had stirred the soul of the woman who had been the youthful playmate of the queen who with bleeding heart sat below among the revellers at the noisy banquet and forced her to ask the question is not your fate bound to hers what can life offer you without her now this word was spoken by other lips and like an echo of iris's exclamation came the answer unto death like you if she precedes us to the other world whatever may follow dying nowhere shall she lack charmian's hand and heart nor the love and service of iris was the answering assurance so they had parted and the agitation of this fateful moment was still visible in the features of the woman who had formerly sacrificed to her royal playfellow her love and now offered her life 
when ere leaving gorgias's house she bade her friend farewell she pressed dion's hand with affectionate warmth and as he accompanied her to the carriage she informed him that before the first encounter of the troops archibius had taken the royal children to his estate of irenia where they were at present rarely has it been my fate to experience a more sorrowful hour than when i beheld the queen her heart torn with anguish bid them farewell what fate is impending over the dear ones who are so worthy of the greatest happiness to see the twins and little alexander recognized and saved from death and insult and your boy in barine's arms is the last wish which i still cherish on returning to lochias charmian had a long time to wait ere the queen retired she dreaded the mood in which she would leave the banquet for months past cleopatra had returned from the revels of the comrades of death saddened to tears or in a blaze of indignation how must this last banquet which began so mournfully and continued such reckless mirth affect her at last the second hour after midnight cleopatra appeared charmian believed that she must be the sport of some delusion for the queen's eyes which when she had left her were full of tears now sparkled with the radiant light of joy and as her friend took the crown from her head she exclaimed why did you depart from the banquet so early perhaps it was the last but i remember no festival more brilliant it was like the springtime of my love mark antony would have touched the heart of a stone statue by that blending of manly daring and humble devotion which no woman can resist as in former days hours shrivelled into moments we were again young once more united we were together here at lochias to-night and yet in distant years in other places the notes of the singers the melodies of the musicians the figures executed by the dancers were lost upon us we soared back hand in hand to a magic world and the fairy drama in the realms of the blessed which passed before us in dazzling splendour and blissful joy was the dream which which i loved best when a child and at the same time the happiest portion of the life of the queen of egypt it began before the gate of the garden of epicurus and continued on the river sidnus i again beheld myself on the golden barge garlanded with wreaths of flowers reclining on the purple couch with roses strewn around me and beneath my jewelled sandals a gentle breeze swelled the silken sails my female companions raised their clear voices in song to the accompaniment of lutes the perfumes floating around us were borne by the wind to the shore the tidings that the bliss believed by mortals to be reserved for the gods alone was drawing near and even as his heart and his enraptured senses yield to my sway his mind as he himself confessed was under the thrall of mine we both felt happy united by ties which nothing not even misfortune could sever he the ruler of the world was conquered and delighted to obey the behests of the victor because he felt that she before whom he bowed was his own obedient slave and no magic goblet effected all this i breathed more freely as if relieved from the oppressive delusion the fire had consumed it also which had burdened my soul until a few hours ago no magic spell only the gifts of mind and soul which the vanquished victor the woman cleopatra owed to the favour of the immortals had compelled his lofty manhood to yield 
from the sidness he brought me hither to the blissful days which we were permitted to pass in my city of alexandria a thousand sunny hours musical echoing surges which long since dashed down the stream of time he recalled to life and i i did the same and our memories blended into one what never-to-be-forgotten moments we experienced when with reckless mirth we mingled unrecognized among the joyous throng what olympic delight elated our hearts when the plaudits of thousands greeted us what joys satiated our minds and senses in our own apartments what pure unalloyed nectar of the soul was bestowed upon us by our children bliss which we shared with and imparted to each other until neither knew which was the giver and which the receiver everything sad and painful seemed to be effaced from the book of memory and the child's dream the fairy tale woven by the power of imagination stood before my soul as a reality the same reality i repeat which i call my past life and charmian if death comes to-morrow should i say that he appeared too early summoned me ere he permitted life to bestow all its best gifts upon me no no and again no whoever in the last hour of existence can say that the fairest dreams of childhood were surpassed by a long portion of actual life may consider himself happy even in the deepest need and on the verge of the grave the aspiration to be first and highest among the women of her own time which had already thrilled the young girl's heart was fulfilled the ardent longing for love which even at that period pervaded my whole being was satisfied when i became a loving wife mother and queen and friendship through the favour of destiny also bestowed upon me its greatest blessings by the hands of archibius charmian and iris now i care not what may happen this evening taught me that life had fulfilled its pledges but others too must be enabled to remember the most brilliant of queens who was also the most frequently beloved of women for this i will provide the mausoleum which gorgias is erecting for me will stand like an indestructible wall between the cleopatra who to-day still proudly wears the crown and her approaching humiliation and disgrace now i will go to sleep if my awakening brings defeat sorrow and death i have no reason to accuse my fate it denied me one thing only the painless peace which the child and the young girl recognized as the chief good yet cleopatra will possess that also the domain of death which as the egyptians say love's silence is opening its doors to me the most absolute peace begins upon its threshold who knows where it ends the vision of the intellect does not extend far enough to discover the boundary where at the end of eternity which in truth is endless it is replaced by something else while speaking the queen had motioned to her friend to accompany her into her chamber from which a door led into the children's room an irresistible impulse constrained her to open it and gaze into the dark empty apartment she felt an icy chill run through her veins taking a light from the hand of one of the maids who attended her she went to little alexander's couch like the others it was empty deserted her head sank on her breast 
the courageous calmness with which she had surveyed her whole past life failed and like the luxuriant riot in the sky of the most brilliant hues ere the glow of sunset suddenly yields to darkness cleopatra's soul after the lofty elation of the last few hours underwent a sudden transition and overwhelmed by deep sorrowful depression she threw herself down before the twins bed where she lay weeping softly until charmian as day began to dawn urged her to retire to rest cleopatra slowly rose dried her eyes and said my past life seemed to me just now like a magnificent garden but how many serpents suddenly stretched out their flat heads with glittering eyes and forked tongues who tore away the flowers beneath which they lay concealed i think charmian it was a mysterious power which here in the children's apartment rules so strongly the most trivial as well as the strongest emotions it was when did i last hear that ominous word it was conscience here in this abode of innocence and purity whatever resembles a spot stands forth distinctly before the eyes here o oh charming if the children were but here if i could only yet no no it is fortunate very fortunate that they have gone i must be strong and their sweet grace would rob me of my energy but the light grows brighter and brighter dress me for the day it would be easier for me to sleep in a falling house than with such a tumult in my heart while she was being attired in the dark robes she had ordered loud shouts arose from the royal harbour below blended with the blasts of the tuba and other signals directing the movements of the fleet and the army a large body of troops having been marched during the night to the neighbouring hills overlooking the sea the notes sounded bold and warlike the well-armed galleys presented a stately appearance how often cleopatra had seen unexpected events occur apparent impossibilities become possible had not the victory of octavianus at actium been a miracle what if fate like a capricious ruler now changed from frowns to smiles what if antony proved himself the hero of yesterday the general he had been in days of yore she had refused to see him again before the battle that she might not divert his thoughts from the great task approaching but now as she beheld him clad in glittering armour like the god of war himself ride before the troops on his fiery barbary charger greeting them with the gay salutation whose warmth sprung from the heart and which had so often kindled the warriors to glowing enthusiasm she was forced to do violence to her own feelings to avoid calling him and saying that her thoughts would follow his course but she refrained and when his purple cloak vanished from her sight her head drooped again how different in former days were the cheers of the troops when he showed himself to them this lukewarm response to his gay glad greeting was no omen of victory End of chapter twenty one